Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month, the focus is on industrial automation. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, video, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we are back from Thanksgiving. We are getting ready for Christmas and CES. Uh, ugh. And uh, we'll be talking about Twitter, specifically Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter, surprisingly, at the beginning of this week. We'll talk about what all of that means. And also, Sherlyn is going to be diving into the latest chips from Qualcomm. We've got a whole bunch of Snapdragons coming to phones and computers and whatnot. So there's a lot of stuff to dive into this week. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's the most helpful thing in the world. And you can also email us at podcast So this week began with some surprising news. There was speculation, I think from CNBC first, that, uh, hey, Jack Dorsey, at Jack himself, the co-founder and current CEO of Twitter, uh, or CEO as of Monday, uh, would be stepping down. And there was a lot of hubbub around that. And I think within a few hours, it was confirmed. It was confirmed that and by Dorsey himself, too, because he uh, he basically just tweeted his resignation notice. I, I hate to say this, but someone's going to NFT that. So go ahead. I mean, it's going to be him because he also <laughs> NFT the very yep. first tweet, right? I think that was him. Yep. Uh, but he tweeted, not sure anyone has heard, but I resigned from Twitter. And he Jeez. left a basically a screenshot of his Gmail <laughs> of his resignation letter uh, where he announced that, uh, yeah, he's uh, leaving the company. Uh, Parag Agrawal, Twitter's CTO, is becoming the new CEO. I believe he's planning to leave the board, too. So he's going to fully separate himself from the company. Here's where it gets really interesting. He says at the end, uh, I want you all to know that this was my decision and I own it. It was a tough one for me, of course. I love this service and company and all of you so much. I'm really sad yet really happy. Um, I think the question is, was this really his decision? I, I we don't know. Uh, there was a great article out of the Washington Post yesterday that talked to some Twitter people on background, um, by, uh, folks I really like, Will Ormus and Elizabeth Dwoskin, or Duskin. Uh, the article's called Twitter's New CEOs Bringing an Engineering Background to a Politics Fight, and if you want to get some... Nice background info about like what's happening uh, is worth checking out. But they talk to Twitter people and a lot of folks at Twitter um, 
were basically happy about this news. Like they, the, among the people who could be the new CEO, Parag seems like somebody at the company that everybody generally likes. They, he's carrying the philosophy of Twitter that Jack Dorsey kind of was expounding. Uh, but the downsides is he's an engineering guy, right? He was the CTO. Um, he was not. He's not really a policy guy. He's not really into. He hasn't had any experience really working on the politics side of things, but that's also true of most CEOs. Um, and I think there's questions about, like, what does this mean for Twitter in the future? What does it mean for the innovation of Twitter and everything? So, Sherlyn, when you heard this news, um, what was your first thought? Because I know you're also a big Twitter user like me. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of the things I was reminded of when I read our article on the thing, on the, on the issue, is that, like, oh, this actually isn't Jack Dorsey's first time so-called stepping away from Twitter. I remember like having to actually write up when he rejoined Twitter. Um, but this does sound like a bigger separation, right? The whole thing of him leaving the board as well. I think that part might be new. Um, and then I, I hadn't heard about the appointment of Parag or um, those old tweets that surfaced, but it is kind of beautifully ironic, right? Like, ha, your tweets could prevent you from taking over Twitter. I don't know. It was, it was, I was in the holiday mood and yeah. It, it never quit. It, like it was never the point where it would prevent him from getting the job, but yes, almost immediately, like right wing news was like, uh, they pulled up this tweet from October 26, 2010, um, where he quoted Parag quoted and he, his Twitter accounts at Paraga. Um, he quoted a daily show segment, apparently saying if they're not going to make a distinguish uh, if they're not going to make a distinction between muslims and extremists then why should i distinguish between white people and races and that was a quote from the show and it's also a quote that uh, I, I think people would agree with in context of what's happening there but of course he pull it out of context and he's just like this guy's a racist of some kind um people a lot of right-wingers were quick to make that uh, that seems to have blown over because people understood the actual context. But that is, it's an interesting thing to see him even post, uh, even back in 2010, right? Because it's like, I can't imagine Jack Dorsey, the guy who kind of leans more on the libertarian bent and I don't think has really come down on any real social justice issues very strongly, would tweet something like that, you know? Maybe he would give it a like, but I don't think right. he would actually post it. Um, so to like, have, yeah. even even his like would be like unearthed and like Jack Dorsey, you like this tweet, you know, like conspiracy Twitter and conspiracy yep, yep. Instagram can get very crazy about these things. Maybe this will make, you know, someone like Parag think harder about, you know, their, the, the way their own product can be used to bite them back in the ass, right? Like th this is something that they're experiencing firsthand. Now, I don't know if it's for the first time that Parag's old tweets have, you know, come out and, and therefore he's been attacked because of them. But you know, now they're going through some of what some other people on their platform have had to go through. So maybe they'll think <laughs> twice about some of their things. That's the main thing. Anyway. And uh, why is this important? You know, why are we talking about this? I think for a lot of people, Jack Dorsey is kind of the soul of Twitter. Like he he always represented this uh, this kind of like unique uh, punk <laughs> punk view of startup dumb. Like he was all the stories about how he started Twitter, like um, Twitter was like Odeo. It was like a podcast company before that. Yeah. And like he brought this idea to Odeo. And yeah, there, there, and he was basically just like a young coder who was not really tied to any company, like just a young kid trying to make his life in San Francisco. And this thing kind of came about. Um, he was pushed out of Twitter back in 2008. So not 
not long after the company launched. And he returned in 2015. And in between that, he founded Square, don't forget, which is the company that has kind of taken over the world quietly uh, in stores because they have basically, um, when Square started, the whole idea is they had this little attachment that plugged into the headphone jack on your phone, the beautiful three and a half millimeter audio jack, um, plugged into that and turned any phone into a card swipe reader. Pre-Square, that stuff was really hard. And yeah. going into a store, like there was that point in the late 2000s where it's like, do you, t- do you take cards? You, yeah, you kind yeah, of look yeah, at yeah. the register. And, I remember uh, asking that question. Yeah. 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 And you look at the register and it's like, okay, how old is this? Do they have a point of sale system that takes credit cards? It was really hard to tell. Um, Square made it so that people could do this stuff. Like people at flea markets could just let you swipe and buy something and then transition to the point where I, I was actually covering a bunch of this weirdly. They transitioned to the point where they could actually make terminals that could, you know, that could be on the uh, the cashier uh, table and you could swipe your card and they'll spin the screen around and you can type in whatever Those you want are to great. people. Those are great. They were kind of one of the pioneers of that too. And while doing Square, he kind of came back to Twitter and was co-CEOing both companies, which t- not, not always the best thing, right? If you're, it's, it's one thing, it's hard enough to be a leader of a major company. It's hard to even be, t- to straddle both. And I think there's a lot of criticism of was he doing that appropriately? Like, was he giving Twitter enough time? I, any thoughts on that, Sherlyn? Because I know you, you've you also, you're a big Twitter user and you followed social media for a while too. So that thing that you said, and I think the, the potential implications of this, right, is what kind of a what kind of a leader is Parag going to be? Because Jack Dorsey, you know, has so far managed to stay resistant, managed to be like not uh rock the boat too much. Now, I, I do think that, you know, co-CEOing those two big companies probably would have stretched him pretty thin uh, and, and probably has, right? Like imagine during the pandemic, the people's reliance on Twitter was huge, but people's reliance on Square, especially small businesses, um, probably grew too. So, I mean, that that's one thing where like interesting choice that he made to pick Square, I guess, and his other interests over Twitter. But... At well, that, that wasn't time. a choice. They pushed him out earlier on, too. Like, he wanted to stay on Twitter. Yes, yeah. he said, he well, he did say, say that this is his own decision, right? To, well, I'm like, talking 2008. Her? I'm talking 2008. Oh. They kicked him out. That was it. That I was, mean, that was to yeah, the floor. Yeah, that was not yeah. a choice, for sure. That was just, like, I guess they thought Twitter was losing relevancy or something. I don't know what was going on there. But um, I, I, I do think that after he came back, Twitter did make some mistakes, yes, but it's also like compared to Facebook been able to make some quick changes in response to all the misinformation going around. Twitter was faster to adopt things like labeling misinformation, telling you to read an article before you. So like, I don't know how much of that was Dorsey, um, but I do think that he he seems, he has a, a style that seems a bit more independent, a bit more you know, middle ground than some of the other social networks we've been like covering in the past Maybe years. He does seem like Twitter under Dorsey seemed less conservative, certainly than Facebook, right? Because yeah, yeah, they put up those article alerts. They, everybody criticized Twitter for not doing enough to ban Nazis and hate yeah. speech and things like that. And that, right. that is a legitimate that. criticism for them and for every other social media company. But I do give Twitter credit for pushing faster. Like they were one of the first people to start like, um, basically blocking accounts or like temporarily suspending accounts if they started detecting some sorts of hate speech they did something about trump's tweets uh, right. before they facebook off. could even touch it well they started like they 
started um, blocking tweets, basically. They started right. hiding tweets and saying this right. one goes against our policies. And right. then they ended up basically kicking him off the platform entirely, whereas Facebook only was like, this is a suspension. This is a suspension of an un- indeterminate time. Right, So exactly. Twitter was at least, yeah, a little more impactful in terms of what they were doing. Um it is, I've talked about this before, it is my favorite social media outlet because to me, Twitter embodies like everything I've ever wanted from communicating on the internet, you know? And this goes back to being in AOL chat rooms in the 90s, where it's like, hey, cool people on the other side of the planet, I get to meet, I get to talk to. Twitter is this sort of like unifying force that lets me keep this conversation going no matter where I am, for better or worse. Like I do, I lose sleep because of Twitter and maybe I shouldn't as much. But I also lost sleep to AOL chat rooms about anime when I was a teenager. So kind of the same deal just as a global service. Um, I don't. I, yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Roland? Like, what do you what do you want Twitter to be? Are you satisfied with what Twitter is as a company? Do you think having a new CEO in charge will help them get there or hurt Twitter? Like when it comes to innovating? Yeah. So I will say, I again, I was in San Francisco uh, for a little bit, which is like you would think all the tech people are, you know, yeah, 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 all up on Twitter. But no, my 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 cousins, two of whom. Uh, I was with this, well, three of whom I was with this weekend. Only one of them's on tweet Twitter, and he's a lurker. He doesn't, like, post much. He just maybe catches up on news. The other two, one of them has, you know, is a recent transplant to to America. So he's in Singapore. And, like, in Singapore, nobody really uses Twitter. Um, only the most plugged in of, like, media and tech people are in Twitter in Singapore, are on Twitter. And then, and then the other cousin just isn't on social media. So, like, let's exclude him from this conversation for a little bit, right? I, I do think that, like, some people in our uh, live stream chat, like, uh, Ruindig are pointing out that it does seem like Twitter's influence is mostly in the U.S. and even then within certain circles, like t- tech, fintech, media. Um, and then maybe it's a business. small influence, but I think maybe yeah. an impactful influence because it they influence the people who end up being influencers. So there, there is that sort of thing there, too. Yeah, yeah. There is something about like your your you know growing your Twitter following and and that sort of thing. But I think I like Twitter. I I do. It does feel like I'm not reaching every single person in the world right with Twitter sometimes, where like more people check out Instagram than people do Twitter. Um, and then if you're an influencer, let's say, what uh, what numbers are you looking at prioritizing, right, for for your followings, that sort of thing. And not to not to like put it in that context too much, but I feel like that's a way to, for people to see the value of Twitter when reaching a more mass or mainstream audience, right? Like, I, I'm sorry to say this, but Meta, I've already made the switch. I no longer say Facebook. Uh-huh, Meta. Uh-huh has its grips all over the world. It just like has the huger, I believe, user base. Um, so yeah, much as I like Twitter right now, my thoughts on Twitter are that like it's at a crossroads identity-wise, right? Like are you going to double down and become this niche thing that only, you know, admittedly big uh, parts of the population use or or are you going to try to become even more mainstream and, and how are they going to do that? So mm-hmm. It's an interesting Absolutely. time for Twitter. Interesting time. Uh, one thing I will point out, I believe uh, Parag, people said that he was responsible for Twitter Spaces, which is their like live audio chat format, uh, which is basically Clubhouse, but on Twitter. And I do think um, that's been pretty successful. Like I keep seeing Spaces happening. I keep seeing influential people like Kara Switcher uh, doing, doing Spaces. And basically it's a thing where 
you could talk. It's like a live podcast. You can listen to somebody talk or bloviate or whatever. You could sit and listen to the be in the audience and you can ask questions and sometimes it could pull you in to do a chat too. Um, it is a trend that Clubhouse kind of started, but also nobody's talking about Clubhouse anymore. Like talk about a niche service. Um, Twitter, you know, Twitter basically uh, being the platform for media influencers, having a function like that, I think was really smart. It's been really successful for them. So maybe that's a that's a sign that Prague and other people at Twitter are still looking at different ways of doing things. They recently launched Twitter Blue, which we talked about, which is the, you know, you pay a small fee and you get some new features uh, like delayed tweets so that you can edit them before they're officially posted. Um, I, I'm, I did Twitter Blue on the very first day. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm, I, I'm a fan. I really enjoy okay. it because it's a, uh, I don't mind spending a couple of months, uh, a couple of bucks a month for a service I'm on often uh, to have that safety net of catching a tweet before I need to fix some type, you know, to fix some typos, but also you get some, you get ad free article views. Um, I wish they would add more features, but I think um, for the way I use Twitter um, also the thread view is really nice. Uh, if you find I'm somebody who keeps running into like scientists and researchers who have these dozen dozen long tweet threads you hit a button right if you, if, you, if you have twitter blue and then all of a sudden it's like a nice block of text um yeah that stuff has been worth it to me i, I, I are your feelings about twitter blue any different than when we last talked Trillin? i still haven't signed up for it so not much different i do think spaces and twitter blue are you know recent developments that maybe dorsey i don't know how much involved he was but if you're saying parag was more involved in spaces it's it's one of those things that, like you said, Clubhouse is pretty dead right now. And Garrison R in our live chat has also commented that Discord killed Clubhouse, which is a good point. Like everyone copying what mm -hmm. Clubhouse does kind of well, made Clubhouse not great. And Different audiences too. Like Discord, Discord is fundamentally the geeky, the geeky Gaming, place where you hang yeah. out. And yeah, for gamers. And I don't know if Discord killed Clubhouse. I think it's more, hey, what Clubhouse did was very easy to copy. By a lot of yeah. these, those are popular services, you know. So, sure, uh, Discord helped maybe kill that, and certainly Twitter Spaces. And I think Facebook has been working on something too. So, you know, um, yeah. I, I I will say back to that point uh, I was making about the reach of Twitter and even globally. I believe our producer Ben uh, might have been the one who unearthed this for us. That Pew Research says only a quarter of U.S. adults are on Twitter, and that ninety-seven percent of tweets from the U.S are a quarter of the people who are actually already on uh, Twitter, which is a quarter of adults in the U.S. So, so yes, yeah, so it's like a very loud group of people. <laughs> like, we're all very active in social, some of us, right? A quarter of us that are active on Twitter. But we're also a very small percent of the population that's actually in uh, the U.S. So think about that globally. It's not, not even that huge. But, but this also kind of you know, lends us a way to expand the conversation, right? Because like there are other platforms out there. There's just social media in general of which, yes, Twitter is a small but kind of influential part of because, you know, people borrow features everywhere. We just talked about how a bunch of different services managed to kill Clubhouse. Um, but back to the thing you were asking me about, like, I don't know, spaces and stuff and Twitter Blue I, I I feel like these are different things that Twitter is trying, right? And Twitter will continue to try these different things, I think, under Parag. I'm not sure I'm all that here for it. I also thought, you know, let's not forget that they rolled out or they tried to roll out fleets. They tried to roll out voice tweets. And then, 
you know, didn't do very well with voice tweets because it wasn't accessible from the, or it wasn't inclusive from the beginning. A lot of missteps um, uh, that were made back then. So we'll see. I, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out what Twitter is. Uh, for me, like I, from the beginning, like I think I joined in like 2007 or 2008. Like I was right there for the global internet chat party. Like that's what I want. Instant communication with everybody yeah. all over the world. I've made a lot of friends on Twitter. I've talked to, you know, that's Twitter is how I started organizing my early podcast. Like that's how a lot of film critics and people were just on Twitter because that's where everybody was talking and I could just ping them and be like, hey, you want to be on my show? And they're like, what's a podcast? Yeah. And this is 2008. I do like so, that. yeah. Yeah. So, like that, that sort of direct connection to influential people was really interesting. Uh, I think the ultimate thing everybody's going to have to learn is that Twitter. Twitter can't be Facebook, right? Twitter can't be something that gets over 2 billion users around the world. But Twitter is very good at focusing on people who in media or people who want to be influential or people who want to talk to each other. I, I think um, I've seen these P stats before. And I wonder there's kind of no way to measure like how impactful are these people on Twitter, right? Like how are these people in terms of guiding public conversation or influencing broader folks like p politicians and just like public sentiment in general. Um, there's a lot of things we can't measure. And I do feel like there there's still something at the heart of Twitter that I think is really interesting. So I'm interested in seeing where it's going. Uh, related to all this, by the way, uh, Square went through a company renaming, just like Facebook yeah. uh, turned into Meta. Uh, Jack Dorsey says Square is being renamed to Block. You know, they want to focus more on the blockchain, which is like one of the one of the many fields they're uh, they're kind of looking into because Square also has they have Cash App. You know, they they have like a bunch of other things that they're kind of tied to. I wonder if this is the trend too of tech companies kind of just really just naming themselves to literally reflect what they're focusing on now. Because the reason Facebook turned to Meta is because. Zuckerberg wants to focus on the met the metaverse. Uh, this seems like a uh, just a surprising copy move. It won't matter to any consumer. Like this is not relevant to your life, but I think it right. is kind of funny as a move. Yeah, I like the I like the joke tweets that came out right after. It was like, oh, just uh, barely a, a few minutes after leaving Twitter or announcing that he's leaving tw Twitter, uh, Jack's already been blocked. Already been blocked. Uh, and also, just like so many other people, he has a very dramatic, uh, I'm leaving Twitter letter. Yeah. Because that, that is the thing you see among a lot of media personalities. Some too. personal like, news, star emoji. Personal news. I got to take some, <laughs> I got to take a Twitter break. Everybody, it'll last one week and you won't even notice I'm gone. So, yep. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Trillin. I was just going to say, I wonder what will happen. I mean, I feel like Reddit's another example of one of those like, you know, communal spaces where people, where memes travel far, far and wide and, 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 you know, super fast and people have certain, um, I guess also like their own inside jokes, right? Like the fact that some personal news is a whole thing, that was exclusively a Twitter thing. Um, and, and some of us inside this bubble know of it. Like, I feel like in some circles where you just say the words some personal news, people are like, oh, gasp, what are you going to say? But then within a mainstream audience, people don't know. And then, and you know, Reddit has stuff like that too. So I don't think Reddit's going to change. I just do think that like, I don't know, it, it, those are like nice sacred spaces we have right now, right? And and who's to know how they'll change soon? Who's to know? But we'll be mm -hmm. keeping track of everything happening on Twitter. And you know what, Pleasant, if you have any questions, uh, podcast and gadget.com. Okay, enough of Twitter. Let's talk about hot chips, specifically hot chips. bubble chips 
from Qualcomm and Trillin, I think you want to tell us all about the new <laughs> Snapdragon hardware that they announced in Hawaii. I'm yes. very every time they have those summits in Hawaii, I'm like, I yes. I should be there, not I, here. I I enjoyed the one time I attended, but something about Qualcomm. You know, we never we when we attended, we paid our own way, but something about yeah, Qualcomm yeah. just like hosting a huge bunch of people to cover their news is it's a little like that doesn't sit right with me it's not um mm-hmm. yeah uh I, I i i again love it there i think we can cover the news pretty effectively remotely which is nice so we did and the articles we have two articles up on engadget.com should you feel the need to get this in a written form to read um but basically the gist of it is every year at its tech summit usually in hawaii uh qualcomm launches its you know next generation of premium mobile chips which is typically the snapdragon 8 series it's been the 845 855 865 last year it was the 888 this year because it is clearly running out of numbers to go uh qualcomm has done an i don't know i guess like an a rebrand i almost said epic rebrand but actually it's not <laughs> epic it's the complete opposite it's, of epic it's, it's a rebrand it's yeah a more human name for these chips yeah it's a readable, it's called Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, which I look forward to repeating over and over again in my reviews uh, later this uh, next year. But the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, uh, it will, as you know, is usually the case for Snapdragon, uh, Qualcomm's 8 series Snapdragon processors. It will show up in a bunch of phones, uh, Android phones next year from companies like Xiaomi Oppo. Uh, I believe some of the names uh, listed were also Sharp. Um and more 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 phone makers that we don't actually you know see a lot in the U.S. Um, because you know the dom- the market is dominated here by Apple, Samsung, and Google, who all make their own chips slash use Snapdragon anyway. Um, but what's a the big deal about this uh this chip? If I'm not wrong, let me I'm just double checking my spec sheet right now. I'm pretty sure it's a four nm design, which is like pretty insane, but. That seems like a number I saw somewhere and then forgot. Um, I am looking at the spec sheet now, and I feel like if they did say it was 4NM, it would be it would higher be, up. It would be higher up. Right? I mean, it would be the I, first just, thing they said. I The main thing I'm getting is, like, I saw a lot of tweets coming out of the uh, the announcement event, and it was just, like, the pie-in-the-sky stuff they could do. Like, it could shoot yes, it 8K HDR right. footage at right. 30 frames per second. Okay. Okay. Cool. Right. And, uh, did, Here's the thing. So I did say, right, uh, so it is 4NM process technology. So, I mean, that's in- kind of incredible. Um, but it also, like you said, does, it's got an 18-bit ISP uh, compared to a 14-bit on the predecessor. And so okay. that allows it to, you know, capture so much more data. It's got, like, really great uh, capture speeds of uh, 3.2 gigapixels per second. And like you said, 8K HDR video capture at about 30 uh, frames per second, I believe. But I got to double check that number. And it was already capable of doing like super high res, um, high frame rate video before like 4K at the very least at 30 FPS, I believe. Um, And then now I guess 8K, but like who's going to implement that on their phone? I I don't know. It's a lot of stuff that I don't think, and this is the thing I always yell at Qualcomm for. It's like, I sure, uh, theoretically, somebody will put this in a phone, but uh, I, I have a lot of feelings about 8K people. And 8K as a format does not make sense in your living room, and it certainly doesn't make sense on your phone. Those files are huge. Those files are honking big. 4K is already big enough, and we we don't have enough phone storage for even 4K. Um, there is a lot of the stuff that I don't know if anybody's actually going to take advantage of. Like they talked about 
Uh, it has support for Qualcomm's aptX lossless Bluetooth I mean, codec, which <laughs> okay, sure, sure. If you have a headphone that supports that one specific codec, then sure, that may be fine. I also don't think. I, I think we've actually kind of figured out good quality audio from Bluetooth. Like you, lossless is not going to win you like any major fans here. They talked about minting NFTs with this chip. <laughs> Who cares? I, Who cares? Oh, honestly, it's like they also um, on the on, during the keynote, Qualcomm also mentioned the word metaverse. Uh, so I guess great for them. It sounds like. You know, really just Qualcomm looking at what's popular, what's being talked about in the in you know the industry. Like for a for a period of time, lost the aptics uh, or acoustic uh, uh, lossless stuff they were talking about came around the time while true wireless earbuds were like the hottest you know product on the market. So that's when they started really like talking about audio. And you are right, like not a lot of people like the compatibility issues with their with their codec. Like it took them a whole like separate phone they had to make Asus make with them to find out how that really uh. sounds. And even then, it's not like that great of a deal. I mean, again, I'm not the biggest aficionado when it comes to like sound quality, what? but I, I will say like a specific wireless audio codec stuff too. Like um, Sony has their is it LDAC codec. These things are so annoying because you have to have a specific pair of headphones. It can only work with certain kinds of uh, phones or devices. And if you don't have that cross compatibility, I, d I don't think anybody actually notices is the thing. Like yeah. Apple, Apple has not activated. Uh, Apple is not using AptX, which is the like higher resolution Bluetooth like compression technology. They're still using AAC, but that's more than good enough for you know uh, the HomePod. Was it the the AirPods? Um, yeah even the over-the-ear one. So I, none of this actually matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and just to quickly give you know, people a bit more uh, info about the, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, um, you know, it supports Wi-Fi 6, 6E. It's got the latest uh, 5G modem and supports, I believe it's the so-called, according to Qualcomm anyway, it's the world's first to, uh, three, to have the, Support for three GPPs release sixteen five G. Uh, cool. If you if you've really been paying attention to what the three G three GPP release sixteen five G means, it just means like better IoT five G support. From my understanding, I don't know how much of that has okay. changed since the last time I read release sixteen. Um, but yeah, it's it's look five G has always been like Qualcomm's thing. They've been fighting, you know, pushing and saying that you know so much of their innovations went into five G and how we. But 5G still isn't here. I remember back in the day, they promised 5G 2020. I'm like, okay, technically you did kind of make that deadline, but we're yeah, now approaching yeah. 2022. And like, who's really using millimeter wave 5G? Yeah, uh, I've, I've been reporting on 5G like since 2012, I think, like yes. since they first started like yes. having inklings about it. And hey, the one of the latest pieces of news we heard is that uh, a lot of uh, carriers have to reduce the power output of their 5G networks because it could be interfering with airplanes. So there's a lot of stuff we still have to work through. It is um, a lot. These claims of like super fast speeds literally will not, you will never see it unless you're standing in front of a 5G tower and looking right at it, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little it, worried. They announced some other chips though too, right? And I think those could did. be more interesting. Yeah. Yes. So uh, 
yeah, just closing out the 8th Gen 1, there's also some AI improvements. They've renamed the Hexagon DSP to a Hexagon processor. It is now their AI processor and it is four times faster than previous generation. Uh, alongside the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, they did announce that they were teaming up with Google on some neural architecture things. I'm not going to get too much into that because that's not really what we, we, we cover. What we do cover is uh, chips for PCs which I have covered uh, for way too long at this point, which is Windows on ARM PCs, uh, Windows on ARM chips. And this uh, year at the Tech Summit, Qualcomm launched the Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 and 7C Plus Gen 3 because These Alphabet are Soup to be is great names. now. Yeah, yeah. I can't mm. even, don't even, don't even get mm. me started. The 8CX was, if you recall, uh, one of the first like made for PC Snapdragon chips they made. And it was, the X was supposed to stand for extreme. And I guess the 7C plus stands for plus. A version of the 8CX Gen 2, which was last year's model, was in the, uh, was kind of basically Microsoft's SQ2, which was in the Surface Pro uh, X Gen 2 last year as well we never really had a sense of how that performed other than still not great uh definitely not uh macbook or apple's m1 level but with the gen 3 it is the according to qualcomm first 5nm pc platform um and it's designed for ultra slim and fanless laptops so again like things like the surface pro x series i guess um and moving to a 5nm process design Along with some other optimizations, uh, Qualcomm said that this allowed for improved CPU performance um, despite similar power consumption levels only. So like this thing should be faster while not being too hot slash not draining your battery life. Again, I am skeptical about this because, you know, we know that the problem with the Windows on ARM wasn't necessarily the processors. It was the software. We'll get into that. Some yeah. other time. When, Windows 11 is supposed to be better with ARM-based hardware, but we have yeah. not seen enough evidence of that to really determine. Like, it's not, it's certainly not as seamless as, like, the jump from, uh, for Apple, for macOS from the Intel side to the, to their ARM-based chips was, like, miraculous. Mm -hmm. It's invisible Jeez. to the user. Even the emulation of x86 apps was faster than a lot of Intel chips, you know? So what Apple did was, the stuff Qualcomm can only dream of, and I think we've talked about this, it's specifically because Apple makes the software, Apple makes all the hardware, Apple doesn't need to deal with hardware partners and hope Dell makes a good computer based on its yep. hardware, and they don't need to beg Microsoft to make Windows better. They could just do it all. And <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Speaking of doing it all, the 8CX Gen 3 is supposed to offer up to 60% improved performance over last generation chips during GPU intensive tasks uh, thanks to its new GPU. So gaming and full HD at up to 120 FPS. Uh, and then you can play like longer so the battery will last longer during your gaming sessions. Um, again, great if you can find compatible games on your ARM-based PCs. Like, yes, some of them are, but like Steam just never did run on a Windows on ARM machine. So good luck with that. And then speaking of gaming, the company also announced a new chip for handheld gaming consoles, basically like Android gaming consoles. Well, they should have this like weird Switch-like thing. Yeah. That looks like an extra, it looks like a Switch with a phone shoved in the middle of it basically yeah it's really and, awkward and tall yeah 
I recently saw one of these. My, <laughs> I talked to people in my life about these devices and what they're excited about. One of my one of these people that I talked to uh, bought a Windows handheld gaming console mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Amazon. They exist. They yeah, exist. they exist. Yeah. It's like a Windows uh, 10 thing. Anyway, it looks like one of these, right? And so basically what Qualcomm uh, was showing off was basically, I think, a, a reference design for a potential Android handheld gaming device powered by the new Snapdragon G3X Gen 1 gaming platform. Once again, that name is Snapdragon G3X Gen 1 gaming platform. I am G is for games, to... I guess. Right. But they wow. they also yeah. they worked with Razer on this, which is kind of cool. So it does have like that sheen of a Razer device. The actual controller yeah. looks like the Razer Kishi controller, which you can mm. get for your iPhone or Android phones too. Uh, but it's cool. a gaming dev kit, might be not mm-hmm. not just a reference design, but a dev kit that developers can get on Razer's website, like you said. Um, There's no hope for this. Like, what what are we what are we even doing here? But okay, sure, well, good specs, with, good specs. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It's got the like. Let's go through the specs really quickly, right? It's got a 120 hertz screen, 6.65 inch OLED with 10 bit HDR support, four way speakers, and that built in Kishi like controller that uh, Devinder was talking about. You can even use it to live stream because it's got like a 1080p camera that can record up to 60 fps, and then also mics. Um, look. Like we said, like, does it have any hope? We don't know. Stadia? Huh? You know what I mean? And uh, the, There are a lot of these devices. So like yeah. you're saying, somebody bought a Windows 10 one. There, there are a lot of these things that are trying to be the Steam Deck that just want to be your emulation box, right? So it's a controller. It's a system you can walk around with. You can play all your old games, maybe some old console games, all stuff in a legal gray area. Um, but as a... As a platform, like no one's going to be rushing out to buy an Android gaming, the, you know, portable system. Yeah, the thing I will say is that like they have Razer like going for it. Like Razer's backing is not insignificant. I mean, Razer, the company that like made a mask just for fun and then decided to start selling it because people liked it so much. Who knows? It's, they it's might a good just mask. make. Yeah, I mean, mask. Yeah. it seems like it. So you mm-hmm. never know if this is good enough. Razor might just be like, all right, we're going to make it. Miliang Tan is like watching people enjoy this, you know, podcast today. He's like, yep, we're going to ship it, ship it. Let's do it. Assembly line it. So yeah, okay, maybe. But I think there's, it just begs more questions than it offers answers because, well, is Android good enough? Is this, you know, is that what people want? Android gaming on a handheld console? Are people Perhaps. can buy these things just for cloud game. When I've talked about the Razer Kishi and the uh, the Backbone, yeah. which is the an even better controller for iPhone, um, the real joy of those things is you pop in your phone and then all of a sudden you could stream games from your gaming PC via Steam. You know, Steam has streaming within your home network. You could stream Xbox um, games from the Xbox Cloud if you're an X, if you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber. Stadia games, like things from all these other services, like there could be a need for devices like these. But I do think like a lot of people, those controller adapters should just be like 50 bucks, like 50 to 100 bucks. Uh, You buy those if you want to be a gamer, you have a good phone already. I assume you've already spent a lot of money on a good quality phone. You don't need to spend it all over again on one of these things, you know, so I'm really into the the controller well, adapters, yeah. I mean, that's a good idea. One last note on the Snapdragon G3X is that in you mentioned game streaming and on the connectivity side, like every Qualcomm device, the the uh, Qualcomm 
platform, I guess. The G3X Gen 1 will offer 5G millimeter wave and sub-6 compatibility as well as Wi-Fi 6 and 6E. So, sure, I mean... Sure. Cool. cool. My games. They there. There was one controversy out of all this, right? Because the the Snapdragon eight Gen one. One of the Ooh. one of the features they touted is just completely dystopian and always on camera. <laughs> yep. Uh. Yep. So my two questions are: WTH? Why the hell does this exist? And also WTF? <laughs> like why? Why would you do this? Okay. Tell me, I'll tell you the why uh-huh. of it, right? Which is the, or the company why, right? The company thinks this is going to be so convenient because you can just, you know, the phone's always looking for your face. So like whenever you want to log in, just kind of like blink, I guess. I don't know what, it, I mean, to me, it's like, that's not great. I don't want my phone to A, be always watching me. B, be like, your phone's always unlocked as long as your face is within my eye shot. I'm just like, no, that's completely against the point. I just bring back the fingerprint sensor. I don't care. Um, but that's, that's their, what they're saying is that it's convenient. It will, uh, let you wake and unlock your phone without, you know, picking it up or like unlocking it or, or pressing a button first. Uh, and then also instantly lock when it knows your face isn't around. Which that, that could okay, be cool. For that, that one, could be I cool. kind of mm-hmm. get, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, no. I mean, the good news is that like not every Snapdragon feature has to be employed or uh, adopted by OEMs in their phones. So thankfully, probably, we're probably not going to see it given the backlash so far. Yeah. But man, uh, is it, is you go with a, a phone that's always looking for your face, Devendra? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that is, that is how Face ID technically works. Like if you're, if you're holding yeah, up, yeah. if your phone is on your table and you like tap it or something, it gets a, enough of a glimpse of your face, it'll unlock. Um, yeah. I do kind of get a sense that Qualcomm, the, the Apple and Qualcomm always go back and forth in terms of features. So I think they're trying to like out Face ID, outdo what Face ID does. Are they only talking about this for the front facing camera? Because I do think rear facing. Yeah. That's what it sounds okay. like. So rear facing, I can also imagine like somebody's going to think about like what you could do with a rear facing, you know, always on camera sensor. Uh, battery life is certainly going to take a big hit, but um, it could be cool. It's just one of those things where I don't, I don't know if you're actually solving the problem here, guys, or at least like trigger that thing. You could trigger it faster if I pick up my phone or if I jiggle the phone or something, and then it looks from my face. Like there are a lot of ways you could deal with this. I don't know what they specifically mean by always on, but it's certainly you're not helping. You're not fixing anything here, guys. You're just trying to chase Apple. Yeah, yeah. I I do think that if you want to chase Apple, give us a good face ID, like, you know, alternative on Android, like something that's a good IR camera or a depth camera, like something that takes more, takes more data than just a face picture to unlock your phones like that. I mean, I'm sure there's some out there, but, you know, with the Samsung Note series, when that went away because they decided to do a punch hole or pinhole camera, that, that went away. Like, I want it back. Bring it back. Come on. My question for you, Sherlyn, like as we wrap up this side, do you think like these new chips, obviously they'll be in the next, you know, powerful Android phones and those things are going to sell like hotcakes. Like that's a given. But do you think anything Qualcomm is doing is going to help PCs like notebooks or any of these other kinds of devices? Because I think, man, Apple is just off to a a running start here. They are on their second generation M1 chips. Uh, They've proved that they could make these things incredibly powerful. Intel AMD are racing to catch up. Qualcomm is in the best place to do a powerful mobile chip. Do you think they're going to get to the point or do something interesting in 2022 with this hardware? I do think they've already been trying their best, right? To make a good chip. It is really their struggle comes with like making Microsoft's thing work. 
yeah. on 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 its Windows on ARM oh thing. God. So they but they have been part of the players like pushing Microsoft to do better. And I think Microsoft finally gets the point at this like this juncture in the game. They're like, oh, look what Apple did. I guess we should step up our game. I feel like this is 2022 is going to be the year we see like improvements to Windows on ARM. How significant they'll be. I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think that we can, you know, solely blame Qualcomm for that. Um, meanwhile, for these handheld gaming chips uh, for Android, I do think we're going to see at least some other company try, right? I think Qualcomm, one of the things that it's had going for it for so long is its partner relationships. I mean, setting aside its IP stuff, right? Like it's it's all about its IP, but but it's got a lot of partners that will that are game to take a chance. And so in 2022, we're going to see some of these trickle out. The more important thing is how well they perform in real life when we get to review them, and if they're good, great. If not, then I I feel like Qualcomm it's really on its last few legs to try to remain relevant because we are seeing such intense competition across the chip industry. So do you think uh, they're in danger of being acquired or something too? Because that was NVIDIA announced, was it last year or earlier this year? They they were trying to acquire ARM. So they're going to, and I, I know British um, regulators are trying to put a stop to that, but that was a big move mm-hmm. to be like, hey, we were just going to buy the company that everybody you know takes their designs and builds chips off of that design. Yeah, Qualcomm, it seems like yeah, I, somebody would could snap up Qualcomm go, easily. Yeah, mm-hmm. they could, but Qualcomm's pretty huge. Yeah, um, yeah. I will say, like on the on the ladder, you've got like you still got MediaTek below Qualcomm, mm-hmm. and MediaTek. Let's not forget, also had an event in Laguna yeah. Beach last week or two weeks ago. Which, okay, yeah. cool. Um, and MediaTek's in a lot of like smart home devices. So, you know, if someone, you know, like uh, AMD or something wants to buy MediaTek just to beef up its small chip for small, like less process intensive the devices wants to get them, sure, cool. I I feel like in the chip business, other than like, Apple or NVIDIA, it's kind of every man for himself right now because like Intel's kind of like struggling to keep up. Qualcomm's also like, I think, facing some pressure because all these companies like Apple and Google are making their own chips now. Uh, and ARM obviously, you know, was an easy buy for, I think, NVIDIA if they wanted to buy it and pre-regulation discussions because ARM just made the designs that enable all these companies to make their own chips. So it is a smart move to like want to buy ARM. Uh, but whether that'll actually yeah. happen is 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 another question. So and Qualcomm is a big, big company, right? Market cap right now is $192 billion. That is even yeah. above, like, I'm just looking at, like, what, what is the biggest business acquisition ever, right? And according to, I'm looking at Wikipedia here, uh, uh, Vodafone? Vodafone! AirTouch bought Manisman sure. for $183 billion in 1999 dollars. So that's, like, $284 billion cool. today. That's a big, big deal. We don't really see deals that yeah. large. But I do think, like, yeah. As these tech giants are growing, like Google could buy that with a drop of a hat. You know, uh, the unfortunate sure. thing is we've seen what Google does to companies it absorbs and it's never oh. good. So I, I would not wish that on Qualcomm. Um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on all this hardware, folks. If you have if you have questions about the next round of Qualcomm hardware, if you think Windows on ARM is a good idea, do you think they'll, it'll ever have a chance against Apple's M1 you know, laptops or PCs? Let us know, podcast and gadget.com. Moving on to less nerdy chip news. Um, <laughs> the Theranos trial is happening, and Elizabeth Holmes has been on trial for the past uh, week, I believe, in San Jose, California. 
And there, there's been some interesting developments there. Um, not really stuff we've covered okay. too much in Gadget, just because a lot of it's just like a nitty gritty business stuff. What do you know? What do, what do you? What does she know about what was going on at Theranos? And I think the big takeaways are, you know, prosecutors have been really pushing her to take responsibility for her actions. Um, there's some great reporting mm-hmm. uh, from Erin Griffith at the New York Times. So go check out all of her coverage because she's been there every day at the court. Um, mm-hmm. But there, there has been a big push from a lot of people to force Elizabeth Holmes to say, like, were you responsible for it? And they've gone back to videos uh, early on at the company where, you know, she said, like, yeah, yeah, I'm the CEO. The buck stops with me. And that's something prosecutors have been getting her to really commit to. Uh, Don't forget, like, if if you don't know this whole drama, there is a a decent HBO documentary about Theranos by Alex Gibney. Uh, I gave it kind of a middling review just because it, it covered territory that a lot of people already knew. But if you're new to all this, you know, Theranos was the company saying, hey, we have this magical box that can test uh, with a drop of your blood, can test you for all sorts of stuff. And it was entirely BS, like almost complete BS. And uh, tests that they had run at Walgreens and other places uh, put people's lives in danger because they assumed they were getting accurate medical readings about this stuff. Yeah. So anyway, this this is going to be an ongoing trial um, it is interesting to see how people are positioning Holmes because if you watch that documentary, she is just she is one of the strangest figures I've ever seen uh, in the tech world because um, she is somebody who is clearly trying to imitate Steve Jobs, like right down to the black turtleneck, but also to the like trying to create this sense of uh, what do they call it the uh, the magical field. People would say, Uh, people would say Steve Jobs had this reality distortion field about him, right? Like he could talk about anything and people would be like, yes, yes, tell me more. Tell me more. You're a genius. Uh, I will do whatever you say. And he, that's how he convinced the world to uh, buy iMacs and to buy um, iPods and even the iPhone. Like positioning technology as this thing that will change your life. He was so good at that. Uh, Even when people were really skeptical she was apparently very good at that too when it came to getting investors and getting people on board with her. Um, and I think that that was a part of like what led to her success. There's also this really weird story that I'm not going to get too into here, but uh, she, there at one point during her testimony, she said that her former boyfriend, Ramesh uh, Sunny Balwani, her number two at Forbes had also like mentally and physically abused her. And, that's stuff they will have to talk about. You know, that's stuff they will have to dive into. Part of me wonders, like, that. that is a really interesting case to put for your defense to be like, hey, I'm just right. I'm just a poor, innocent girl, and this older man completely manipulated me. Um, I think both could be true, but we don't know. And I don't want to get to that. That's just really weird and iffy. But I think among the things, like among the gossip coming out of this trial, which is really this trial is a fodder for like gossip in Silicon Valley. Um, it was really weird and interesting to see. Do you have any feelings about this, Sherlyn? Like there, there, there's been a lot of talk about this trial and what it means. Are we being too mean to women CEOs? And I don't think that was the case. I she lied. She lied and messed up. I remember this case specifically for how messed mm-hmm. up it was. Like, yeah, it was like she didn't come under fire because she was a likable woman CEO who was about to be very, very successful. Or, or even she came under fire meme. for all that crap stuff. I, the thing that happens right. is people are like, oh, this woman is too hard on her employees. Therefore, we will cancel yeah. her. And That's the away yeah, CEO. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's a whole other. Yeah. So so that's a different issue. It's it's and this is a 
clear-cut case of like wrongdoing. And I think I understand that, you know, life can get very hard to handle when you're in an abusive relationship because, you know, you're kind of like one-track minded in, in that sort of situation. But I think also at some point when you're far enough away from the issue, you kind of have to own up and take some responsibility, at least some. Not You don't have to take all. Just be like, oh, yeah, I was a shithead. I was wrong. That I feel like that's one of the most powerful things people can do for themselves. But anyway, um, to, you want to shout out uh, something that our, our video team pointed out is that like there's also a yahoo documentary yahoo finance documentary on the topic so if you're ever keen on checking out yahoo finance is one of our sister sites so i guess we can throw them a bone and talk about their documentary but but yeah i mean there's a lot out there about this issue i I would love to see how this this trial comes out this is will will her reality distortion field impact the jury i I think that that's kind of what once when she brought up the abuse angle i was like oh i was like oh man I see, I see yeah. what's happening. I'm just, uh, anyway, it's gross. It's, uh, I hope, uh, I hope she, like, I basically hope, like, she gets the responsibility for everything she done. Like, I really hope the yeah. court kind of. Some culpability in yeah, all of this, kind right? Yeah, find her guilty of a lot of that stuff. Uh, because we've covered this for so long, and even seeing that story play out, even she mentions, like, yeah, they completely screwed up their their response to the Wall Street Journal's articles, um, which initially were just like, hey, this company is complete like is completely made up and every their technology is a lie so many things of what they're doing is, is just a lie um i hope justice is found basically with theranos mm-hmm. let's move on to something a little more fun how about that um spotify wrapped was this week and i love yeah i love spotify wrapped because it is one of those things it's a time of year it's a time of yeah. year it's also one of those things where it's like you know these companies are already tracking us so if you're going to track all yeah. my habits and my you know data and everything, at least g- give me something back. Uh, give me like a way to reflect on the year. And I think it always comes in early mm-hmm. December. And as always, you're like, yeah, I really did listen to, um, you know, was I a lot of Thundercat this year, apparently. So ah. it, it just really calls out all the all the artists you always listen to. It's also a reminder to me yes. that um, my daughter has completely ruined my algorithm because Half of it is like, you know, Thundercat and Bjork and video game music. And half of it is the Moana soundtrack on repeat. So The Rock is one of my top listened to artists because of, uh, yeah, because of Moana. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's a thing. How did, how did your Spotify rap turn out, Sherlyn? I, uh, this year I, uh, it should surprise no one that I listen to a lot of K-pop. And my top artist was G-Idol. For those of you who are K-pop fans, you know, G-Idol is also um, people who are part of like KDA, which is the League of Legends uh, (laughs) virtual band. So I'm very proud of myself right now. Um, But also I kind of like seeing how I was very surprised that like the top song I listened to or one of my top artists was Doja Cat, Hmm. which like... um, That makes sense. That checks out. Pretty pleased with myself again. Yeah, she's a good... Love her music. Did you get anything um, weird and her videos. among your list? Because I wonder, like, uh, do you ever listen to the Cooking Mama soundtrack? I, I wonder if you'd even get, like, the, oh, yeah. the title music just on repeat <laughs> over and over again or something. I do listen to I do listen to some weird music, but thankfully, like, I listen to, like, I spam so much of my other music that I like a lot that, like, they don't make it into my top. You know, like, the, the occasional odd music that I listen to doesn't make it into my top 10 mm-hmm. easy. But I will say my favorite podcast on Spotify is the Engadget Podcast. Hey because i love listening to the sound of my voice apparently probably uh, also the only thing you're subscribed to yours, on, on yeah Spotify. It, 
That is true. Hey, listener or viewer, if the Engadget podcast is on your Spotify wrapped, can you please take a screenshot and share it with us at Engadget? Share it on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. I would love to see people actually be listening to us on Spotify. That would be really cool. Oh, man. Um, How about... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I think. Oh, and then they t- they said like your aura. They took a the photo aura is of really your cool. Aura. I do like the aura idea. So kind it's of just strange. like your yeah. your vibe, your music vibe. And for me, yeah. it was like um, one was happy and one was like um, energetic or something. I think was mine was confident in something, mm-hmm. and I almost want to say confident and bossy because mm. that's kind of what <laughs> I felt they were trying to. You're tell like the me. boss baby grown well, up. Me... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was mine? Um... Man, oh, is it is hard. It's it hard to see. Confident and bold, okay. not bossy, is another B O word. <laughs> Confident and bold, basically synonyms. Synonyms. Cool. Well, well done. Spider. My number one Look. song of the year was "You're Welcome" by The Rock. So, because I have to sing it to my daughter. <laughs> it's your daughter I have to right sing it to there. my daughter every Aww. night during bath time. So she loves it. What's my number one song? <laughs> number one song. My song of the year was "Say So" by Doja okay. Cat. I played it a very reasonable 305 <laughs> times. What's yours? What was your number of I times? I mean, I don't, I'm looking at my desktop here, so I don't, the uh, desktop experience is not as good. Like they, they do a really cool like mobile card thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, can I just yeah. say that like, look, I have, I had fun with the Spotify rap thing, but I have so many problems with the Spotify mm-hmm. app. I love that it's available on so many platforms and it works with so many devices, but like, Sort your shit out, Spotify. Why won't you stay connected to my devices? Why, like, <laughs> is the web experience not great? Why is the desktop experience? Like, I there, there's a Anyhow. lot of stuff. But I will say, like, the, the thing I love about Spotify is that the seamless, the Spotify Connect thing, which a lot of people do. Like, yeah, that's really great. The ability to hop between speakers or just, like, I'm listening on my phone, yeah. push this to my computer, which is running Spotify, push this to my Xbox, yep. which has the Spotify app. Yep. Like, it's magic how yep. that stuff works. And it that's work really well. great. Yeah. It just struggles to stay connected for me, which like annoys me when I'm like maybe mid, it's just you know, judging jam. your music. True, could, it could be. be that. But I would say that if there, if Spotify had an aura, the two words for it would be messy and chaotic. Messy and chaotic. Okay, how about this? Let's move on to what you're working on because I also think it'll probably be messy and chaotic. You <laughs> want messy and chaotic? What do you want to <laughs> shout out here, Sholin? I continue to work on year-end stuff. I am, like I said, working on an accessibility report that, you know, recaps some mm. of the biggest developments in assistive tech. So if you have any ideas, uh, if you if something uh, caught your eye this year that you thought I might, you know, pay attention to, feel free to send it our way at podcast.engadget.com. Uh, other things I would love for you guys to send us is uh, more year-end coverage for us, including the best and worst gadgets mm-hmm. or products of the year. How about year? no more? No more year-end like winners coverage. winners and losers in tech. <laughs> we have so much. I mean, that would be great. <laughs> yes. But if you out there listening or watching have an idea, please send it uh, our way, podcast.engadget.com, or feel free to hit us up on Twitter as well. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, at Engadget on Twitter is a good one. Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's my main things. How about you? I want to quickly shout out Jonathan Anderson in the chat who's saying Apple Music all the way as we talk about Spotify Connect. And it is really, every time, or a Spotify rap, every time <laughs> yeah. Spotify rap happens, um, it is that new meme that is popping up everywhere. Like one yeah. person on the bus, very yep. sad, huddled in a corner, one person on the bus, happy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Apple Music fans. Like, I'm sorry. 
my end of the year stuff. Uh, this week, I've basically just been working on all the end of year stories I have on my plate. So it's a, it's a bunch of lists. Uh, I'm going to have a viewing guide for holiday stuff. I'm trying to find like stuff like um, I assume you'll watch Squid Game, but maybe things you could enjoy if you enjoyed Squid Game. Um, I'm working on kind of a wrap up story about what the global chip shortage could mean for the tech world next year. Um, unfortunately, like I, I'm trying really hard to talk to people about this and everyone's like, I will not talk about this on the record or everyone's just like disappeared for the week or the entire year, I guess, until CES happened. So we'll, we'll see. I'm working on it. Um, I also tested, uh, last week I tested the Kia Sorento plug-in hybrid. So I've talked about wanting to test more family cars and that thing was really cool. I'll be writing that up eventually, but, uh, you know, the Sorento is a really like bread and butter mid-size SUV. It has three rows. It could fit like a whole family. You could put kids in the back. It has a lot of storage in the back. But it was really cool testing one of these that had plug-in hybrid capabilities. So like for 35 miles, um, you know, you could run on electric. It felt cool and zippy and better than any Kia I've ever been in. But I haven't tested a Telluride yet, and that apparently has been the new hotness for the past couple of years. So I don't know. That's car talk for this week. I will be writing that up and I've got some car stories and you try it up eventually. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at cars, folks. Like it is a cool thing to do, especially down here because I don't have good public transportation. So I have to yep. explore the rest of the world of transportation. And luckily, it's a really interesting time for uh, plug in hybrids and electric cars, too. So really just laying the groundwork so I can play with all the the electric cars coming out next year. I'm really looking forward to all of that. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. And I really want to talk with you about the thing you're highlighting, Sherlyn, which is M. Night Shyamalan's yeah. Old. Yeah. One of the things I'm talking about this week is I finally saw Old. I will explain, though. There is a big caveat here. And Avenger, you're going yeah, to yeah. enjoy laughing at me about yeah. this. Uh, I watched Old on the airplane. Oh, boy. When I was, was it on the airplane yeah, and, seat or and, on your computer? Oh yeah, on the airplane okay, seat okay. Uh, monitor. So I barely saw things sometimes. <laughs> and uh, also, I only watched it with closed captioning. Did not have my headphones connected what? whatsoever. What? So so that was great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you just watched as a silent part film. Of, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly, silent film. Uh, and you know, I think the experience of this movie without the sound is going to be quite different from it <laughs> yeah, with, right? Yeah. But I, I got the gist of it. Um, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I think that it could be a lot more existential. I think a lot of the reviews I read mm-hmm. about it were correct. Like I think M Night Shyamalan tries to do a little. If it ended like, ten little... minutes earlier, I think it would have been like very good, like much better. Yeah, yeah I don't mind the reveal so mm-hmm. much. Like I'm fine with it. It's like sure, it's a deviation from the comic in a huge mm-hmm. way, but. My my bigger issue was like how deliberate some of the filming was. Like, look, I came here. I know the premise of this show. I don't need you to like spend five whole minutes revealing to me that the kids aged. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, no, you don't have to show me just a piece of his hand. I like, I, I I'm good. I know he's grown mm-hmm. up. Like, just show me him already. Um, but. I, you're, you're like uh, when the magician is trying to like build up a reveal for a magic trick. You're like, just show me the rabbit. Show me the whole yes. thing. Well, like. Especially when it's something I already know. It surprised sure, me in some sure. other way. I think they're like one of the characters was very surprising. I actually really enjoyed how that turned mm-hmm. out. 
Uh, is it okay to spoil? Is no, the, is don't, the don't, don't spoil. Character, the don't young spoil hot woman. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to be like that. The, the way that character turned out was very cool for there, me. There's a lot of things. Um, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I do recommend listening to it with sound. But also, yes, it yes. Is, the best thing about it is are the visuals. Like the way he moves the camera. And certainly yes. like wa- that's Gorgeous, interesting yeah. to watch this as a silent movie. Because, yeah, it's still a good yeah. looking movie. Um, but yeah. I focus only on the f- visuals. The yeah. sound design, uh, the score and everything, I think, kind of really adds to it. But this is a fun movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I know a lot of people were hating on it, but so, I, I enjoyed a lot of aspects yeah. of this. I, I, I mean, I did too. And I, I have rewatched it already. And mm-hmm. I will be rewatching with sound <laughs> when I can. Um, but my actual recommendation, because since we've already talked about mm-hmm. old on this show before, my actual recommendation is Hellbound on Netflix. Hellbound. Yeah. Um, it is a Korean TV show. Uh, and there are a lot, I mean, it got a lot of very prominent mm-hmm. placement a while ago and the, it's from the train to Bazan guy too. So that's interesting. So, so the CG and the effects of this are kind of, kind of strange. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't super into that, but as is the case with a lot of good, like Korean TV shows lately, this has great storyline, like great acting. It's got this building up this mythos that is very interesting and it's got your favorite type of character, uh, Dev, the, you know the the struggling uh police person or or the family man who's like just trying to make mm-hmm, ends mm-hmm. meet that sort of thing which was also Very, in train to busan uh, too like those characters in train to busan yeah. were all those well, archetypes yeah it was a mix mm-hmm. right there was like one guy who's a finance guy in train to busan mm-hmm. anyhow uh if you're looking for something to watch after squid game that's a little more into the horror path and less into the like uh, I don't know. Squid Games. Squid Games is kind of more sci-fi. I don't know. It's kind of horror. Squid, Squid Game, it's, it's just like not K drama. It's not your standard yeah. K drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, Hellbound was a good one. Yes. Go ahead. You know, I've got a bunch of stuff, but since you brought up Hellbound, I just want to quickly shout out Doctor Brain on Apple TV Plus, which oh. is another. It's a Korean like psychological thriller. I actually think you'd be into this one, Trillin, because it's by yeah. Kim Ji Woon. I might have seen it already, Doctor. Doctor Brain? Brain. Well, yeah. it's like. It just started airing a couple of weeks ago, but it's by Kim Ji Woon, okay. who's done some incredible films like, um, what was it The Good, the Bad, and the Weird? He also did I Saw the Devil, which is one of the most messed up movies I've ever seen, like just tr- truly messed up. So, like, he is really into the like Korean extreme cinema oh. stuff. And th- that's this Dr. Brain is a show about a guy who's basically absorbing people's minds and the, the line between his reality and, you know, the brains he absorbs. Uh, starts mm. to deteriorate. So it is worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. I've been digging that. It's on Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're. It, I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it looks intriguing. I, the doctor show that's Korean that I thought I saw was another doctor show. But if you watch K-dramas, you know what I'm talking for about. For sure. Anyway. Another thing I think you'd really enjoy, Sherlyn, and I think is good for anybody. Sometimes I just want a nice action movie. I want a nice, like solid action movie with people I love. So I want to shout out Raging Fire. The last film by Benny Chan. It stars Donnie Yen. It stars Nicholas Say. I love Donnie Yen. Um, it stars a lot of people I, I genuinely love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Say, who became. Do you know the Chinese name of this? Uh, I don't know the Chinese name. Um, I'm looking it up. I, I can. Yeah, it's No Fo. Ah, yeah. okay, okay. It's 2021, so it's a new one. Okay, it's really new, and also Benny Chan, like. Hey, this is a director. You've probably seen some of his movies. Like he's done a lot of, he did Gen X cops in 1999. Yes. Uh, he did new police story, but he passed away like all yep. of a sudden uh, in the last year, actually uh. before this movie was released. So this is his last project. Uh, Donnie Yen plays a cop, a very straight laced cop who's, who's trying to like, you know, catch these bad guys. And Nicholas say plays a former cop who is a bad guy. And I, the script 
is the weakest part of this movie. Like a lot of it is just like mm. very much Hong Kong action movies. Like we got to stop this yep. drug deal, which is happening tonight with these gangs. We got to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mm-hmm. action is really good because it's Donnie Yen and Donnie Yen did the choreography for this. So there's some really cool stuff of here. Um, yeah. There is a there's a chase between a motorcycle and a minivan that feels like straight up uh, a riff on the Mission Impossible 2 motorcycle head-to-head chase. Um, just so much cool stuff. Good gunplay, good choreography, good fighting. Uh, Nicholas Say is really, um, is really fun in this too as the bad guy because I didn't realize he became... He became basically a food guy, like the Chinese equivalent of like a Food Network person, even though he's been a movie star and a pop singer and all sorts of stuff. It happens. I I can imagine. I can imagine it does. But it's just funny. Like he's back in brooding bad guy mode here. Um, And he's always been somebody who's fun to see. But mainly I watch this for Donnie Yen because I love Donnie Yen so much. So this guy is never going to age. I hope he keeps working for as long as he can. You know, like he's, he's doing good stuff. Raging fire. It's available to rent now on Apple TV everywhere. Basically everywhere you can rent movies. If you like action movies, it's a blind buy to me. It's like 12 bucks to buy it digitally. Just, just get it. It's really good. And really quickly. I also just wanted to shout out, um, the power of the dog, which is a new film that just hit Netflix, uh, by Jane Campion. And she is she's a really interesting director. She most recently has been working on the Top of the Lake TV series. And this is sort of like a revisionist Western or like a new wave Western. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays this really like uh, misogynistic, um, cruel man. Like the, this movie is an exploration of toxic max- masculinity. And this may be Benedict Cumberbatch's best role ever. Um, so he plays this really cruel, awful guy who basically terrorizes everybody around him. And the entire movie is about basically how people respond to him. Also co-stars Jesse Plemons and Kristen Dunst, who are really good actors I genuinely love. Um, It's a beautiful film, but also tremendous performances. Like it is a, there aren't shootouts. There aren't any big action scenes. It is just like people talking to each other, but the drama of it, I think is really compelling. So check out Power of the Dog. It's on Netflix now. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elm. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter, and I talk about movies and TV at The Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. If you want to tweet me your best gifs of 2021, you can send them to me on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts at podcast.engadget.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes because that'll really help. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on industrial automation. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation.